Good morning, West Bowles. How are you? How's your summer been? It is great to be back with you guys. Boy, we had a great time, Jill and the kids and I, for about three weeks. Just doing nothing except fishing and sitting on the sand and doing some reading and catching some sun. But we missed you. And it's good to be back. And you missed us too, right? Yeah, I know. It was a pathetic attempt at affirmation. But Many thanks to those of you who spoke on the Psalms. The past few weeks I have heard over and over that the Summer Psalms series here was a huge blessing. And then, of course, last week's children's musical was amazing. But now it's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's finally here again. It's time to get back into Acts. Amen? All right, good. So please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. But first, before we begin, I've got to warn you, I'm a little upset this morning. You say, why would you be upset this morning? I'm glad you asked. Um, in Dutch, I, the word is benout. Say benout. <laughs> Someone knows Dutch. I'm a little benout this morning, and the reason is yesterday Jill and I competed in a ballroom dance competition, and we didn't do as well as we wanted. And I'm still a little bit upset about that. And of course, it was all my fault. This is what happens when your dance partner is an aerobics instructor, okay? It's pretty much a no-win situation. It's always your fault, even when it isn't. But yesterday, it was indeed all my fault. Now, we ended up with two second-place ribbons and a first-place ribbon. Well, yeah, but it sounds better than it really is because everybody gets first-place ribbons. Okay, you know, they hand those things out like candy. You stand there in front of everybody after everybody's done in this huge group, and they rattle off, you know, all these names and what place they got. And so Heat, 26, Waltz, Freestyle, Bob and Carol Johnson, first place. Ed and Ethel Mertz, first place. Tom and Tammy Baker, first place. Da, 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 da. And finally, you know, you're like listening for your name because you don't know, is it alphabetical? No, I don't think so. So all of a sudden, your name is out there, and then it was. Todd and Jill Lanting, second place. And as you go up there to get your ribbon, there's kind of this smattering of applause, you know, for the Todd and Jill Lanting, second place. But, you know, it's kind of that polite, sympathetic, Stinks to be you with your red second-place ribbon applause. <laughs> now, I know it's supposed to make you feel better, but it just it made me feel even worse. And I, you know, it's like you kind of go up there and everybody's like, oh. So you kind of walk up there and give me that, and you know, walk back down. And I don't know what bothers me more, I, that we didn't get all first-place ribbons. I don't know what bothers me more... Or, Maybe what bothers me even more than that is I care about it so deeply. (laughs) It bothers me that I'd care. I'd give my right arm right now for that little strip of blue ribbon. How pathetic is that? Jill says it's just my competitive side coming out, so I'm, I'm sure she's right. So I'm just warning you, if the sermon today has a special edge to it more than usual... You know why, so consider yourself warned. Who know, I may keep you here for two hours or something this morning. Right. I know, what's new? Let's, let's begin a bit, before we even dive into Acts chapter 13, let's begin a bit by reviewing what we've covered so far in Acts. And then before we actually set sail with Barnabas and Paul, I'd like to set the stage 
with something that we need to keep in mind. We need to keep it in mind throughout the rest of our study of the book of Acts. And it's really something we need to keep in mind as we continue to live out as individuals and as a church community, bringing the kingdom of God to a world desperate for it. You recall, you'll see on the screen, we are working with a two-part outline of Acts. Let's summarize. Acts 1 through 12 is primarily about Peter and the Christian mission in Israel. And then Acts 13 through 28, which we're just about to start, emphasizes at least Paul and the Christian mission outside of Israel. Let's look at and summarize the first 12 chapters. Okay, I'm going to take a big breath. Now, you can do this, I promise. So are you ready? Okay, now I'll throw in a couple of pop quiz questions. Okay, it'll help keep your focus. But uh, let's see if we can summarize these first 12 chapters. In Acts 1, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to them. True to his word, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2 during Pentecost, and Peter and the apostles experience the power of the Holy Spirit when about 3,000 people are baptized. In Acts 3... Peter heals a lame man in Jesus' name, and this contributes greatly to Peter and John in Acts 4 being arrested by the Sanhedrin. You remember the Sanhedrin, that Jewish ruling council made up primarily of Sadducees, and they're warned against continuing to speak in Jesus' name. In Acts 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira reminds us of the importance of telling the truth and reminds us that we can't fake it with God. Later in the same chapter, the Sanhedrin folks arrest the apostles a second time, this time intent on killing them. But Gamaliel, a Pharisee, the Pharisee really, convinces the Sanhedrin to let them all go. But they're flogged just the same as a warning against continuing to teach in Jesus' name. In Acts 6 and 7, we meet Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And it's there at the end of chapter 7 that we first meet Saul, also called Paul, who participates in Stephen's death. And then in Acts 8, while on the run from persecution, Philip reaches Samaritans and an Ethiopian eunuch of all people with the good news of Jesus Christ. In Acts 9, Paul receives his commission or call from Jesus in short, stop persecuting Christians, Paul, and start proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jews and Gentiles alike, Jesus tells Paul. And Paul begins doing this in Antioch and then in Jerusalem. But by the end of Acts 9, the apostles send Paul, here's your pop quiz, the apostles send Paul to his hometown of Tarsus, good, when some Hellenistic Jews or Grecian Jews visiting Jerusalem try to kill him. In Acts 10 to 11, Peter and the church also get a new understanding and appreciation of God's plan unfolding to include the Gentile world when Peter breaks bread with a Roman centurion and his family, of all people, and leads them to salvation in Jesus Christ. Finally, the Herod family simply can't resist getting into the action. After all, it's Herod. And so in Acts 12, Herod Agrippa, who is related to Herod the Great, how? Herod Agrippa is Herod the Great's grandson. Good. 
Herod Agrippa kills the Apostle James, arrests Peter, intent on killing Peter too. Peter escapes, and after Herod falls over and dies, remember that story? He accepts praise for himself as a god rather than give the praise and glory to God. Meanwhile, more or less as those Herod events are going on in Acts 12, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, and whose real name is Joseph. Yeah, you were here this morning, George. Give him a chance. He's really trying to... You know, it's like one of those kids when you're in school in the front row, right? You know. <laughs> Barnabas, whose real name is Joseph, and what was Barnabas Joseph's job or position? Who was he? Do you remember? It's a tough one. He was a Levite, a priest, actually, and he was from Cyprus. Anyway, Barnabas fetches Paul from Tarsus, takes him back with him to Antioch, where the two of them, Barnabas and Paul, meet with the church in Antioch and teach there for a whole year. For one whole year they teach there. And this, my dear brothers and sisters, brings us to Acts 13. Can I have an amen or at least a phew or a wow? That's right. And wow, that's almost enough for one morning, but not quite. Would you stand with me, please? After all that, you need to stand, I suspect. While I read Acts 13, 1 to 3. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, that's interesting, the Greek brought up with childhood friend of Herod the Tetrarch, Herod the sort of king, this would be Herod Antipas, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. These are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Do you ever just feel like staying in bed? Yeah, some of you not too long ago. Ever wake up in the morning and right as you wake up, there's this moment of peace and rest, but then as you regain consciousness and realize again who you are and what you have to face that day as the busyness and the responsibilities of life kind of come crashing into your peace and rest, do you ever just roll over, bury your head under the pillow, squeeze your eyes shut, and try to force your way back to where you just were? You know, in that state of blissfully unaware of it all? Blissfully unaware of all you've got to do today? Have you ever been there? Because you know, right? You know that as soon as you swing your legs over the side of that bed and stand up and start moving again, you know you put into motion the schedule. The schedule of the day. And once that schedule gets going, it takes a life unto itself, doesn't it? It's sort of this relentless demanding force 
that will require you to engage and react and conquer and consider and, oh yeah, relate to other people. You ever catch yourself thinking that life would be great if it just wasn't for all the people? The people ahead of you in traffic, the people ahead of you in line, the people hanging their expectations on you. People like, for example, judges at dance competitions. Those of you with children or families or friends, I hope that covers all of you. As much joy as children and family and friends bring, do you ever want to shout out like Jimmy Stewart does to his wife in It's a Wonderful Life? Do you remember the line? His daughter is banging away on the piano and his kids are running amok like up and down the stairs and through the house. There's that word again, amok. Use it often. It's a good word. Do you ever want to cry in exasperation with Jimmy Stewart? What do we have all these kids for? He says to his wife. No, he's kidding. Kids are an incredible blessing as are family and friends, but it's taxing sometimes, isn't it, to be in community and in family? Bills to be paid, homework to finish, a dog to walk, a turtle to feed, a bird to whatever you do with birds, a litter box to clean, seems to be a pet theme developing here, laundry, mail, email, voicemail, gas in the car, groceries, clients, customers, students for us teachers, cleaning, meals, lawns, carpet cleaners, aches and pains and sickness, all the hassles of life, I'm sure you could add to that list. Yesterday I was in line at a McDonald's thinking about the sermon, actually, and I just started to laugh because this guy standing at the register next to me trying to order, he was trying to order for like eight different people or something, most of them kids who were like all clamoring around him. Okay, have you ever seen that? And I sat there and I watched him, and the sheer effort and energy that this man man had to expend, the level of concentration an involvement that it took for him simply to order food at McDonald's? I mean, I almost sit here. I almost took my only blue ribbon. You need... I mean, you know, he's this big guy, okay? And he's like kind of stooped over. And he wasn't sweating at the beginning, but by the time he'd done his pouring down... And there's the, this, you know, clerk behind the register trying to hang it. And he, you know, and I'd like um, a, a number three. And then can I like substitute iced coffee for that? And is, it, is there like an apple pie? Do you want apple or did you want cherry? You know, kids like running around. I want a Coke. I want a Coke. No. Do you want an apple pie or a, I want a Coke. And it just, uh, and then a number six and then, you know, I, you know, I'd like the uh, snack wrap, and then I'd do you want crispy or do you want like the broiled snack, the crispy one, and uh, barbecue or do you want ranch? And I'm sitting there, and this guy's just pouring this energy out, and I'm thinking, wow, life could be exhausting, even ordering food at McDonald's. And then, God bless her, this clerk. But the man finally gets it out, and it's, you know, he's got it now. And you can see, oh, he's relieved. And whatever it is, those of you who work at McDonald's or restaurants or establishment, please never do this to we customers. For some reason, she's got to fire the whole order back at him. 
You know, like you have a clue what you just ordered. When... So, she says, you know, looking at her little lights, that'll be a number three with ice coffee, and that'll be a number four, and then six cheeseburgers and two of those, and that one with apple pie, blah, 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 blah. And he's like this. And she gets done with, you know, her perky little McDonald's smile and says, is that right? You know, like he has a, this poor man, wherever he is, God bless him today. It was unbelievable. I remember a Charlie Brown special where Lucy is telling her brother Linus about all the responsibilities of life. And he's sitting there sucking his thumb, you know, holding his blanket. She's going on and on and on about what he's going to have to do. And Linus, finally, at the end, he is so overwhelmed with it all, he just screams that classic Charlie Brown scream, right? Oh! You know, the A-A-A-U-U-U-U-G-G-G-G-H scream. And then he just simply, he takes his blanket and he puts it over his head and he just walks away. Do you ever just want to put your blanket over your head and walk away? I was um, reaching for an illustration for you this morning. And you'll hear in a minute what came to mind of all things. Recognize it? Stuffy little bear all stuffed with fluff. He's nice. Do you remember Pooh? Who likes Pooh? Everybody loves Pooh. Now, more specifically this morning, I just want to listen to the song. More, I want to talk about Eeyore. You guys remember Eeyore? That's Winnie the Pooh's donkey friend, right? Eeyore is that, he's that little depressed donkey who keeps losing his tail, remember? Life, life pretty much overwhelms Eeyore on a regular basis, okay? The little donkey is about as grim as it gets. I brought an Eeyore clip with me this morning so you can see Eeyore in action. Let's watch. And can you ever relate with Eeyore? Christopher Robin lived in another part of the forest where he could be near his friends and help them with their problems. On this summer day, gloomy old Eeyore, being stuffed with sawdust, had lost his tail again. Eeyore, this won't hurt. Never does. Ooh, <laughs> did I get your tail back on properly, Eeyore? No matter. Most likely lose it again anyway. <clears throat> it is my considered opinion that Eeyore's tail should be placed a trifle to the uh, right. And now, if you were to ask me, I think it's just a wee bit south. Uh, no, no, north. Cheer up, Eeyore. Don't be so gloomy. Try swishing it. <laughs> it worked, it worked. Oh, goody. Hooray. Thanks. There's not much of a tale, but I'm sort of attached to it. Good morning, Christopher Robin. Oh, good morning, Winnie the Pooh. Good morning, Pooh Bear. Good morning, Pooh Bear. If it is a good morning, which I doubt. <laughs> Can you relate to gloomy old Eeyore sometimes? Does the stuff of life ever threaten to overwhelm you? Do you ever feel inadequate or like you're not up to it? Do you ever just want to stay in bed and 
pull the blanket over your head and walk away? Maybe you tend toward the opposite extreme. Maybe you're not much like Eeyore. Maybe you're more like Pooh's other friend, Tigger. Do you remember Tigger? You'll be sitting in your thoughtful spot, thinking as usual. And while he was thinking, all of a sudden... Ooh, hello, Pooh! I'm Tigger! T-I-double-G-R! That spells Tigger! Yeah, I know. You bounced me before. I did? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I recognize you. You're the one that's stuffed with fluff. Yeah, and you're sitting on it. Yeah, and it's comfy, too. <laughs> well, I gotta go now. I got a lot of bouncing to do. <laughs> TTFN. Ta-ta for now. Well, there goes Tigger. Always bouncing in on his friends when they least expect him. Oh, hello, Piglet. I'm Tigger. Oh, Tigger. You scared me. Oh, shucks. <laughs> that was just one of my little bounces. It was? Oh, thank you, Tigger. Oh, yeah. I'm saving my best bounce for old long years. <laughs> Ta-ta. My beautiful garden. Yuck, messy, isn't it? Messy? Messy? It's ruined. It's ruined, Tigger. Oh, why don't you ever stop bouncing? Why? That's what Tiggers do best. <laughs> the wonderful thing about Tiggers is Tiggers are wonderful things. The tops are made of the river. The bottoms are made of the spring. The bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, flouncy, fun, 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 fun. Uh, but the most wonderful thing about Tiggers is I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Tigger. It's kind of how I looked at the dance competition yesterday, I'm afraid. But... Do you know anybody like Tigger? You kind of like Tigger sometimes? Always on top of it? Sometimes literally? Always up and bouncy and happy all the time? To the point where maybe it starts to defy reality. You wonder if there's some serious, serious denial going on in there somewhere. Because it just can't be that great all of the time. How can anyone be so confident all of the time? Maybe you can identify more with Tigger than with Eeyore. But, but whether Eeyore or Tigger, either one is simply exhausting in large doses, aren't they? After too much Eeyore, you finally just want to say, enough! You know, it's... Eeyore, it's time to cowboy up here a little bit, okay? Show a little joy or backbone or something, will you? My 
goodness. And maybe after too much of Tigger, you finally just want to say, enough, can we have a reality check here? Are you in there like somewhere really? You know, hello, could you just slow down for just a second, please, long enough to feel something? Both extremes can be exhausting, can't they? Both to to be around those extremes, but to go through them yourselves, they can be exhausting. Now, chances are, even if you're not Eeyore or Tigger all the time, personalities in general, you probably tend toward one or the other. You're probably either Eeyoreic or Tiggerish. Those are terms of art. And maybe if you're at all like me, maybe sometimes you go too far or you stay too long at either extreme as you live out your life. And we fall into these extremes in Christian life and witness, don't we? Sometimes when faced with the challenges of of loving and obeying God and loving others, even our enemies as ourselves, Sometimes when we're faced with that daunting challenge of of bringing the kingdom of God to a world that's desperate for it, our response can be to run away and hide, roll up into a ball, pull the blanket over our heads, hide in our churches, hide in our safe and comfortable suburbia cul-de-sacs, because it's just too much. Sin is too strong and I'm too weak. I'll just get burned again. My salvation, after all, in Christ is secure. That's enough for me, and I just can't. The last time I reached out, the last time I put it all out there, I got hurt. They came after me and ridiculed me and tried to destroy me, and I've had enough. Have you ever been there? I know I have. Then there's the opposite extreme. When faced with the challenge of Christian living and witness... Somehow we feel like we're supposed to charge ahead like bulls in a glass factory. We act like we're bulletproof or made of Teflon or something. Nothing gets to us because we're fine. We're fine. We're good to go. No problem. Suck it up. No use crying over spilled milk. Everything's great. You fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Fine, 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 fine. I'm fine. Boy, I I, I see see you had an accident and, and, and you lost a leg there. Oh, really? I didn't even notice. That's okay. Got me another one right here. I'm fine. And when God seeks to teach us through a process that is painful, sometimes it seems we try and drown out the lesson simply by singing or shouting all the louder things like, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. I'll just sing it louder because I'm fine. Now, it's one of my favorite hymns. It's one I'd be tempted even to put on the list for October 7th. So there's nothing wrong with the hymn. But when we sing that hymn or when we talk of victory in Jesus in a way that, that keeps us from ever feeling and empathizing with the pain of a fallen world in a constructive way, especially feeling and empathizing with the pain of others, We've missed the point by a mile of our victory in Jesus, in my opinion. And sometimes we're tempted to do that because we're desperate to be fine. Even though we're being hit from all sides in a fallen world. And so we fool ourselves that we can handle it on our own. Don't worry about me. I'm just fine. 
Have you ever been there? I know I have. Now, how can we avoid those exhausting and harmful extremes of Eeyore and Tigger in our Christian lives and witness? Consider Paul this morning. On the one hand, here's a man plagued with the memory of all the Christians he persecuted and killed. Paul is shipwrecked, arrested, beaten, tortured, stoned, and left for dead over and over and over again. A group of his fellow Jews repeatedly try to ruin his reputation, discredit his message, and even try to kill him. And then there's his thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, some pain, some deep and difficult sickness or situation. How easy it would have been for Paul to fall into the Eeyore extreme and to just quit. On the other hand, Paul received his training and education from the great Gamaliel. Think Einstein, at least of his day. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, Scripture teachers around at the time. And Jesus Himself, remember, appears to Paul and singles Paul out as the one, or at least the main one, to take the Gospel to the world. Paul's credentials were impeccable. His intelligence impressive. He performed miraculous healings and he even raised someone for the dead. How easy it would have been for Paul to fall into a Tigger extreme. After all, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul could have sung along with Tigger. And the most wonderful thing about the apostles of the Gentiles is I'm the only one. But Paul avoids either extreme. How? How does he avoid that? Our text this morning, I think, at least helps with the answer first. Luke, our author of Acts, emphasizes that it's the Holy Spirit that sets Paul and Barnabas apart. Look at verse 2. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This isn't Paul's idea. It's not the church's idea. Reaching a Gentile world with the good news of Jesus Christ isn't something Paul or the church or any human being came up with. Luke introduces the whole book of Acts with Jesus promising the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Luke introduces the second part of Acts by making sure that we understand that it's this very power of the Holy Spirit that is ultimately responsible for what's about to come. And that is huge toward Paul avoiding clinical depression or false pride. When Paul was tempted to quit, he could take comfort in knowing that it was the Holy Spirit's power that would somehow be enough. It was God's idea and power. And so he could keep going in confidence. And perhaps maybe when Paul was tempted to do it his own way toward charging forward on his own strength, or credentials, or credibility. After all, look at what he was doing. He was reminded it was the Holy Spirit's power and not his own that would see this thing through. And he could keep going in humility. Those of you who have been with us since we started our series in Acts may recall the time we talked about bold humility. Remember? And we see the basis for that bold humility summarized right here in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. He's the Holy Spirit. The basis for us being both bold and humble is that God Himself is orchestrating all of this that we call church and Christian life and witness. It's not our idea. 
It's not our power. It's His. And that's the one thing I wanted to refocus on this morning before diving into the rest of the book of Acts. Throughout his ministry, Paul avoids the extremes of debilitating depression on the one hand or reckless pride on the other. He avoids those eoric and tiggerish tendencies by constantly focusing on the Holy Spirit, constantly reminding himself and others that this is God's doing and not Paul's. And we can avoid those extremes of depression and pride in the same way. Reminding ourselves, always, in community, it's God and it's not us. Second, P.S. Take a look with me at how it is that the Spirit leads and directs Paul and Barnabas here. How is it that Paul and Barnabas and the church in Antioch even know that it's time for Paul and Barnabas to go? You're right, the Holy Spirit tells the church But what's the context of that telling? Did you notice? You see it in verses 2 and 3. The context is worship, fasting, prayer, and laying on of hands in the entire community of the church. And what's more, see if you were paying attention earlier, how long had Paul and Barnabas been meeting and doing church in Antioch? For a whole year, Acts 11, verse 26, a whole year. For a whole year, Paul and Barnabas do church in Antioch. And it's in that context, the context of the community of believers, the context of an entire community coming together for worship, fasting, prayer, and laying on of hands, that the Holy Spirit, after a whole year, finally says, all right, now's the time, and speaks to the church and sets Paul and Barnabas into the world. Today, I wonder if the reason why we often at least or sometimes at least seem to be straining to hear the direction of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if part of the reason is because we've started to decide or we're deciding that things like worship, fasting, prayer, laying on of hands in full community, we've decided that things like church, regular faithful participation in the church, we've decided that it's somehow unimportant. What if Paul and Barnabas had decided church was optional? After all, relationships are messy. After all, it's just about Jesus and me, isn't it? Wouldn't life be great if it wasn't for all those other church people? What if Paul and Barnabas decided that? Do you think that the Holy Spirit would still have set them apart and sent them out? Interesting question, we'll never know, but... What we do know for sure is that the Holy Spirit waited a whole year before telling the church what to do next. And for a whole year. And Luke makes sure we know that. Why tell us that? Maybe this is why. For a whole year, Paul and Barnabas in the church worshipped, fasted, prayed. Very humbling and community-oriented events. Did you ever think about that? That it's, it's humbling to come together in community to worship, fast, and pray? Because we're giving it up to someone else other than ourselves. We're giving it up to God, and we're even giving up a little bit of our love to the community of those worshiping with us. It's humbling to have people place their hands on you. 
I suspect one reason at least that the Holy Spirit waited as long as He did. Maybe Paul and Barnabas needed that year to get focused, to get focused on God. They needed that year in a loving, caring, worshiping, fasting, praying, laying on hands community to get focused on God. Maybe they needed that preparation. That preparation for what they were doing and about to do. That it was God's idea. It's God's power. It's God's timing. It's all about what God wants and not just what I think is best. They needed that preparation to help avoid the temptation that must have been overwhelming at times. The temptation to quit. Or the temptation to boast in themselves. My friends, we need that focus time too here at West Bowles Community Church, in community, together. How are we to be prepared for the work God has called us to do if we don't spend consistent, regular time together focusing on God rather than on us? Like Paul and Barnabas, God is preparing us for work. I keep reading articles about people who stop going to church. One that Craig Nason gave me... Recently, and there's a lot of them just like this. I'll just read a, par- a part from it. Seven in ten Protestants age 18 to 30 who went to church regularly in high school said they quit attending by age 23. 34% of those who quit said they had not returned even once in a while by age 30. And that means about one in four Protestant young people have left the church. Here are the reasons why they left. They wanted a break from church. They found church members judgmental or hypocritical. They were tied up with work. They moved too far away. They're too busy. They felt disconnected from people at church. They disagreed with the church's stance on political social issues. They wanted to spend more time with friends outside the church. And the only reason they went to church in the first place was to please others. That's why people are leading, leaving the church. They somehow come to the conclusion it's really unnecessary anyway. They somehow come to the conclusion that because relationship is messy, remember the temptation to think that life would be great only if it wasn't for all the other people? They somehow come to the conclusion that because, you know, church is not perfect, because it's full of sinful people who are hard to get along with all the time, or who they don't particularly like or may not particularly like them, or who they disagree with on some non-essential point, they somehow come to the conclusion then that, well, we're just going to go and do our own thing with better people, I guess, which they tended to find people just like us, just like me. You want a sure recipe for stunting your spiritual growth? Only hang with a community of people that are just like you. Now, small groups are great. Band of brothers, young marrieds, people from 25 and a half to 26 and a half with two children. It's great to spend time with people like you Because they can empathize. I'm all for small groups. So hear the word only. In my opinion, if that is the only interaction that you have in community with God's people, if that's the only thing, you will cap your ability to grow 
because there's no one there unlike you that God might want to use to teach you something if you're like me and don't know it all already yet. We need each other desperately in all our diversity. That's God's idea for church. Young and old, rich and poor, married and single, male and female, mature and new in the faith. We need to find time to spend time with each other and get to know each other, even though it's hard because it seems like we're talking two different languages. We need the diversity of the full community of the church. It helps to humble us and prepare us for the work that God has us to do. It helps us to get self out of the way so we can focus on God. It prepares us for life and witness and helps us avoid that Eoric and Tigerish extremes. And I want to be careful. I singled out 18 to 30. Those are the folks nationwide that seem to be fleeing from church. They're not just fleeing because they don't want anything to do anymore with God. Sometimes they're not here. Sometimes they're not participating regularly as a body. And they're out there doing amazing things. Action for poor and struggling people that need it. And bless God for them for doing that. But can they also do that, girded up with and supported with a community of people that they also know and spend time with? And at least, if you're tempted to leave church because it's not, at least ask yourself the question, is it possible at least, is there a motivation that you're, planning on doing this because of pride. Because, well, it's just not done the way I would do it. See, i got news for you. It won't be done exactly the way you want it done. And you can be on this perpetual, church of search, uh, perpetual search of churches. In my opinion, I think that's God's purposeful idea. Her church. Because then all of us give or take and go think we learn to love each other. And we learn from each other. Because you have a different position than I. There's power in that unity and diversity. And it can't happen if we pick up and leave or come once a month or never attend the time where we're all attending. Paul and Barnabas are set apart by the Holy Spirit in the humble context of worshiping, fasting, praying, and laying on of hands in the entire community. And they go out in community, focusing on the Holy Spirit rather than themselves. And those two things, the Holy Spirit, focus in community. They're God's one-two punch for bringing His kingdom to a world desperate for it. You feeling like Eeyore or Tigger? Remember, it's God's idea and power. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit in and through us, us in community before God. So don't give up. God is there if you're feeling like Eeyore. And don't try and do it alone. God's there. Keep focusing on Him in community and see what God will do. I know Brad... Um, mentioned what's happening next week. 
if you can at all make it next week, and I know it comes at a tough time for some of our people because college kids are going back to school, but if you can make it next week, and if you can invite a friend next week, but it's got a big circle around the year calendar for me. So we're going to take this community theme and we're going to run with it a little bit. And if you're interested at all, here's the tease, right? What does baptism, communion, and Frank's barbecue all have in common? We'll do our best to connect those three next week out on the lawn. So bring what you need. If it rains too hard, we probably have to make other plans. But even for the sun, bring an umbrella as it gets hot. But I think it would be great if we could fill that lawn out there next week and do something all together, young and old, as community, because it seems like those times are are, are dwindling. And I'd like to push back against that tendency. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what an amazing way to introduce one of the greatest adventures ever. The adventures of Paul and company in Acts 13 through 28. What an amazing way to introduce it. An amazing way to remind us, as the Holy Spirit says, set aside Barnabas and Paul for the work that I have for them. What a powerful reminder, Father, that as we strive to love and obey you and to love others as ourselves that as we know father that it's your idea and your power and that you're there with us and it's not up to us father i also pray not only that we keep our focus on the power of the holy spirit but father would you help us to fight what can be a tendency in our culture to do it alone. A tendency in our culture to avoid community because relationship is hard. I, Father, you know I, the devil's in that. If he can get us separated, if he can get us bickering with each other, he knows, Father, the power of a unified body despite being diverse, who love each other anyway. He knows the power of that witness and He works to destroy it at every turn. Would You give us and use that power of the Holy Spirit and help us to see it, Father, before we start attacking one another, before we start running from each other. Please, Father, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken so that the world may say Jesus, may see Jesus in us and how we love each other. Father, I ask your blessing on all of your people here today. Be with them and give them a safe and give them a week full of opportunity to point to you. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. If you'd like to pray with someone, please come forward. There will be someone that will pray with you. Remember your tickets for the picnic outside at the Welcome Center. God bless you. See you next week.